Welcome to Donnacloney Parish Podcast. If you want to know more information about the parish, how to support us, or for other social media, please go to www.donnacloneyparish.co.uk. Thank you. Let's turn to God's Word. As we do, let's pray and ask for God's help as we study God's Word. Psalm 61 this morning. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit to encourage us, uh, to recreate us until we are wholly yours, secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're looking at Psalm 61, and Psalm 61 brings David to his desperate need where he seems to feel as if God is so far from him. And depression can make us feel like that. Depression is a, a loss of hope. It's not a modern problem. It's been around, we see it in First Kings uh, in the Bible. And it's struck all sorts of people for all ages, especially as people deal with coronavirus. Richard Baxter, a, a famous Puritan, preacher and writer in the 17th century, he preached a sermon called The Cure of Melancholy and Over Much Sorrow by Faith. I want you to listen to some of the words. He said, when sorrow swallows up the sinner, it is over much and must be restrained. This is necessary for the following reasons. Grief and trouble of mind often overthrow the sober and sound use of reason. So the person's judgment is spoiled and twisted by them and is not able to be trusted. Like a person in rage and anger, so one in fear or great trouble of mind does not think of the things as they are, but as passion represents them. Over my sorrow disables the control of thinking. And un ungoverned thoughts must be, both, must be both sinful and very troublesome. Grief carries them away as in a torrent. You, must, you may almost as easily keep the leaves of tree in quietness an order in a blustering wind is the thoughts of one with troubled emotions. He writes, over much sorrow swallows up faith itself and greatly hinders its exercise. Over much sorrow also hinders hope, especially when people believe God's word and are sure of God's promises for others. They cannot believe that the promises of blessing are for them. Hope is that grace by which a soul believes the gospel to be true expects that the promised benefits be his own. Now they are old-fashioned words, but what Richard Baxter is saying there is that depression often leads us to think of things as they feel rather than they actually are. And it can destroy our hope and it can destroy our faith. And the psalmist who wrote these words of Psalm 61, as we can see in the title of the psalm, it's David. David has lost hope. Read those first few verses again and hear the anguish. He says, uh, turn your Bibles, verse 1 of Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I called you. I called you as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, I don't know if David was depressed when he wrote these words. We're not told in any superinscription. Uh, we don't even know why they're being written or why he he or when he wrote it. Other psalms speak of David uh, being attacked by Saul or being persecuted by his own son Absalom. This psalm doesn't tell us why David feels like this. But it is clear, really clear, that as David writes these words, he's in deep despair and anguish. 
And the psalm falls roughly into two parts. It's neatly divided, although it's not there in the NIV, although there's a little letter B at the end of verse 4. In other translations, you'll see the Hebrew word salah, S-E-L-A-H. And it seems to split verses 1 to 4 from verses 5 to 8 very neatly. And the first four verses seem to speak of a great and desperate need. And the rest of the psalm speaks words of confident praise of God. So let's think of that first point, the desperate cry of need. We need to see how personal this is. Grief, depression, sadness. It's very personal. And I don't want to make light of it this morning. But the psalm writer, David, says, Here's my, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. I call as my heart grows faint. And the psalmist tells us that he feels as if God is so distant from him. From the end of the earth I called you. It's as if, as if there's a, a huge distance has been opened up between him and God. His heart grows faint as God feels distant. The words of real pain and need. Right. Maybe I'm only talking for myself here, but I'm not sure how easily we do need. I guess we do coping very well. You know, when I was speaking with George in our staff meeting, and we were chatting about this psalm, I asked him, you know, what would you say to somebody who asked you, how are you doing, even if you were feeling sad? George was very honest. He said, I'd probably tell him I'm doing fine. But how easily would we say these words to others? And to God. Hear my cry. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call you. I call as my heart grows thin. I need you. I can't cope without you. I'm at the end of myself and I don't know where to turn or what to do. Unless you help me, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Please hear me. I need your help. Why is it that you and I so rarely speak those words to God? Could it be that we don't need him? Or we don't think he's there. Could it be that we're so falsely full of self-assurance that even if we recognize that things are going pear-shaped, we think we're on our own. God wouldn't care about me, even if he's there. Or that it'll all turn out all right in the end. But look at how David treats trouble. Look at what he does with his emotions. He brings all his troubles, all his fears, all his anguish, and he cries out to God. Even though he's desperate, he has a very clear request at the end of verse 2. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It's a brilliant image. The rock that is higher than I. David is looking for firm, secure place. Solid rock. Somewhere above the mess that he's in now. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That suggests that it's a place that you can't get to on your own. Bigger than David is. Better than he is. It's a place that God must reach down and bring us to. A place to which God only knows the way. But as soon as we have that image in our mind, the psalmist, David, he changes for another. And now the image isn't the place he wants to get to but the God he wants to reach. Look at verse 3. For you've been my refuge, a strong car against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Now, a refuge is a place you run to when all hope is gone, isn't it? 
I guess the way that you and I can understand it is a, a woman's refuge. The refuge is a place where violence isn't tolerated, where safety is finally guaranteed after all the turmoil. God is that refuge from that danger that threatens. But now just, just as he speaks of a refuge, then David turns the word to a strong car. The image changes again. Now it's a battlefield. The strong car is the tower that resists the enemy so that their assault is kept at bay. Those in the strong car can smile and laugh as if the whole battlefield could be going wrong all below them. But while they're in that strong car, and while that strong car holds, they're kept safe high above the battle. And then there's another image. From rock to refuge and tower, we move to verse 4, a tent and the covering of wings. God is a God who offers hospitality in his tent. Think of Bedouins and how they they bring people into the desert and how they look after folks. So the psalmist asked to be welcomed into God's home, into the place where he lives, into his family. And that gives way to the most intimate picture of all. To know what it is to find refuge under the wings of Almighty God. God is pictured here as a majestic eagle, spreading out the span of his wings, gathering his chicks under his wings, warm and secure. When I was about 15, I was in Adventure Scouts and we went off to the Lake District to spend a few weeks in the summer. It was midsummer, so as you can guess in the Lake District, it was pouring down out of the heavens, often as it does here. Well, we were soaked as it got into the evening soaked to the skin, and we're supposed to be staying at a youth hostel. Now, you couldn't drive to it, you had to walk, and you had to use a map to get there. Now, as Lisa will tell you, I am geographically challenged. I can't read a map. And so by evening, at about 6 p.m., with us all hungry and despair at its lowest ebb, what we thought was going to be a great laugh at the start, now that we were nowhere near a hostel, I can remember it becoming utterly miserable and very frightening. Imagine how we felt, a group of about 12 of us, wet, lost, dark, miserable. It was horrible. But imagine our relief when we moved around just a part of a hill and there we saw lights and there was our hostel through the rain right in front of us. Now let me take you to another summer holiday. It's a few years later. I'm about 21, 22. And my friend Craig and I are sitting in sunny Cyprus in a town called Prataris. You may have visited there. We're sitting in a restaurant. We're eating some swordfish. And we're talking about it at the beach hotels, wondering which one we're going to spend the weekend. I wonder, do you see the difference to those two holidays? What is God to you? A refuge that you're desperately trying to get to or a commodity that you can pick and choose when you can arrive or leave. A strong tower or a handy help when you need them. A rock that is higher than I or an interesting diversion for this stage of life. How badly do you need God? How often do you admit to the Lord your desperate need of him? Or is it 
that case of just before an exam, Lord, get me through this and I'll turn up the church once. Do you feel the need of this psalm writer? Or are you beyond it? Let me tell you another story. Story's told of a man walking up a cliff called path. You probably heard this one before. It's he's walking near the edge of the path. It gives way and he falls and he tumbles. And a small bush breaks his fall. And he's able to grab onto it before he falls to his death. There he is, hanging hundreds of feet above the rocks with only this bush that is starting to come away at the roots, holding him. And he yells up, help me, oh God, help me. Is anyone up there? And to the amazement, God speaks and says, I am here. I am. I'll keep you safe. Let go of the bush. There's a moment of silence. As the man looks at the tiny bush that is starting to give way, he looks down at the rocks and finally turns his face up to the cliff tops and he shouts up, Is there anyone else up there? You see, do we have any idea how badly we need God? Have we seen that our hope is in him alone? With our sin and the prospect of judgment, we're just like that man who's at the end of the earth, calling as our heart grows faint, desperate to find shelter under the shadow of God's wings. And the Bible is full of people who have called out, just like you and me, who have called out to God in their need. But it is also full of those who refuse to come to the Lord. Towards the end of his life, Jesus, we're told, walked into the city of Jerusalem in Matthew 23. And as he looked over that city, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you see blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We see our desperate need. We see our need to be sheltered under Almighty God. The first half of the psalm speaks of a desperate need. It's the words of one who knows how badly he needs God. And which are we? Self-sufficient? We're desperately aware of our need before Almighty God. Desperately needing to call out to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. But then the psalm changes. The turning point of the psalm is there in verse 5. For you, God, have heard my voice. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, as years for many generations may be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect them. Then I will ever sing in praise of your name and fulfill my voice day after day. It's quite a surprise to see how a man in such desperate need of God can now express such confidence and hope as he does here at the end of the psalm. It's as if as now he's been set on the rock that is higher than him, he can see much more clearly. He's now in the vantage point, high on the rock, see it. He can see God has heard his plea. And so he asks, verse 6, King David has asked that the days of the king might be increased, that he might Verse 7, be enthroned in the presence of God. Verse 8, that he might sing God's praise and fulfill his voice. And yet the words are really puzzling. See, 
David doesn't ask here for 70 years, three score and 10. He asks for many generations. He says, increase the days, verse six, of the king's life, his years for many generations. Now it might seem to Prince Charles as if Queen Elizabeth II is living for many, 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 many generations. David is praying for a lifetime that will span for eternity. Here is David speaking of not just being in God's presence for a while, but being there forever. That he will ever sing praises to God's name. And as we listen to the words of this psalm, we begin to see that the king in view here isn't David, but King David's greater son. See, the psalm speaks to of the one who is to come, King Jesus, who will live forever. King Jesus who will reign forever. And David sees that his future, like ours, is wrapped up with God's King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we close this morning, I want to ask a question. If we're to come to God with a desperate need, with a deep need, what will we find? A rock? Yes. A refuge? Of course. A strong tower? Definitely. A tent, yes, welcome. Wings of shelter, yes, comfort. All of those, but actually much, much more. When we come to God with a deep need, what we will see is the cross of Christ. We will find a king who reigns through sacrifice. He reigns through dying in our place and rising again to, to be shown that his death, uh, he's been vindicated to the Father's right side. And so this morning, you might be wondering if you could ever bring your need to God. You might, in the midst of this coronavirus, wonder if God can help. Actually, wonder if God really wants to help you. Well, that's why the cross matters so much. Because that's where we see that God is not only able to help, but that God does help. There is forgiveness available for those who come to Jesus. There is a God who wants to come in our neediness. And we can know that he will keep his promise to love us and forgive us. When we do, we find, like verse 8, we will want to sing the praise of God's name forever. Look at it. Then I will ever sing in your praise of your name. And fulfill my vows day after day. Do you know your need? Come to God. He wants to come close to you. And we can see the proof of that through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King that King David sings about here, who lives and reigns forever. Come to him. Come to him in your fear. Come to him in your deep need. Come to him in your anguish. And you'll find comfort shelter more than you ever believe. Come then in your sin and find forgiveness. And you, even though your hearts may be heavy, will sing in praise of God's King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who meets our greatest need, the need of being forgiven for our sin. The need to be cleansed by you. 
that we might live in your presence for all eternity. Thank you for the King who reigns forever for his work on the cross. Help us this morning to see our deep need of you. And when we come in our desperate need, when we come in despair, help us to see you as the rock that is higher than I. So fill our hearts so full of joy that we would sing the praise of your name day after day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together of that rock, rock of ages. Let's sing together. Rock of ages, clap for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be our sinner, double cure. Save from wrath and make me
Thank you so much, Brian, for bringing us that word of life, a word of encouragement of a God who wants us to come to him in our desperate need, a God who is willing to come to us to be a shelter for us. And this morning as we finish, can I remind you of our evening service uh, tonight at 6 p.m.? We'll be coming together again for evening praise and we'll be looking into another part of the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And uh, I hope you can join us tonight, 6 p.m., as we study together the Word of God. As we finish this morning, let's say together the Word of the grace. The grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. We pray that this service has been an encouragement to you, a challenge and a help to build you up in your faith in Christ. We've now ended our church service and we'd be delighted if you can join with us again. Thank you for being with us in Donna Cluny Parish. God bless you.